Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Caleb Cords of Sinai Vessel. We talked about Tom Petty's Greatest Hits album from 1993. And when Caleb told me initially about this pick, I said, what you're probably thinking. That's not an album. That's a compilation. But Caleb came at it with so much passion for it, and I felt like I needed to hear him out. Also, as a big Tom Petty fan, honestly, it didn't take much pleading. So, it was great to catch up with Caleb, and we talked about growing up Pentecostal in the South, and about how we won't join cults or multi-level marketing schemes, because being involved in independent music has already been enough of a cult, and we can't pull ourselves away from it. So, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. That's at spinningoutpod if you're looking. Okay, let's chat with Caleb. Are you vegan, or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it. Hey, Caleb, how's it been going? It's good. I'm here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, just snowed in. Uh, I work at a bakery, so I've just been um, eating leftover treats and milling about my my partner's house all day, just filling up on bread. <laughs> uh, do, you, drinking do, you all live, uh, do you all live together or um, are you snowed in? We like- don't, but... Yeah, yeah, I stayed. I stayed over here last night, and uh, we just woke up to everything being covered in snow today. Um, but yeah, we we uh, actually met at work and uh, tend to pretty often have the same schedule. So, our like, it's nice in that our periods of uh, being alive and being exhausted kind of travel along the same lines. So, yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Just a big work day for a bakery yesterday and then crashed real hard and then woke up to everything being canceled today. So it's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, today we are talking about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the greatest hits mm-hmm. album from 1993. So whenever I came to you and I said, hey, Caleb, tell me what records you want. And one of the records you gave me uh was obviously this record and um i said that's not a re- that's not an album and you uh-huh. said i beg to differ but you you had more to add to it and i think it's an interesting conversation i'm gonna go do yeah. it uh for sake of us the discourse back and forth on this podcast doing the debate um mm-hmm. 
I say it's not a record because it's a compilation album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like, uh, I feel like any point I make in the world of, of art or music, like I can totally understand the opposite side. So, like, I, I can concede uh, if pressed that it's, it's not a record; it is a compilation. Um, and then we can go into the whole thing of like, oh, there's a, you know, Mary Jane's Last Dance isn't on any other record, so. Uh, if we're talking a uh, CD land, uh, which is how this record first came to me, uh, there's no other there's no other disc that's got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, it's um, the reason that I address it as being record uh, is because that is the way that I was introduced to Tom Petty was having this on compact disc. Uh, I was born in '93, and this record came out in '93, and my parents. I think sort of bought it the week that it came out my dad is from Florida and it's a big Tom Petty fan. Um, and so like this record has been in, there wasn't a time where I was even introduced to the record. It was just there my yeah. whole life. The record was just there. And like the cool CD cover with all of these, like all of the skin tones are like messed with on mm -hmm. the front. Uh, and they're all like handing cigarettes to one another. And it just looks like, just this otherworldly cool thing. Um, but yeah, I like that was all I knew of Tom Petty for forever. And I didn't even expand beyond the greatest hits into the records for like decades. I think really only until like five or six years ago. But then I would say that like Tom Petty is my favorite and that that record is my favorite record uh, because yeah, I was so into it. It's, it's so interesting. But yeah, I, I would yeah. concede that it's not a record, but the relationship I have with it is sort of like I would have with any other record. Like I, I feel the sort of transitions between songs. Uh, I kind of know what's coming at any given point. It all feels cohesive to me in almost a way that like Tom Petty records themselves don't always. And it's crazy. It's It really is like, it's the one greatest hits record that, really actually lives up to that title it's like these are these are all all of them hits <laughs> yeah usually what i have trouble with on a lot of greatest hits records is uh, it's like you you have to be conscious of picking up a greatest hits versus a best of with a lot Ooh, of bands yeah uh-huh yeah and because some of it it's like then you kind of realize you're like i don't really care for the hits as much you know but this is yeah you know, I don't know what even a Tom Petty best of. It feels like it would still be the same thing. It would be the same songs. Yeah, the, yeah. you're exactly right. I forget who it was that said it I, when I was thinking. I, I had just uh, watched Running Down a Dream again fairly recently. Uh, I don't know if it was a piece that I was reading after the fact or actually it was in the documentary. But it was like somebody else that was another like great rock and roll songwriter uh, just said kind of flat out that like, Tom Petty, uh, he's a big fan of Tom Petty, whoever it was that was talking. It's like, but Tom Petty's never been like an album guy. Like, I think he's tried for that, but I don't think, yeah, I think people will remember the songs. You definitely get into people that are like, uh, love Damn the Torpedoes and Wildflowers and stuff like that. And I, I do too, but uh, I think that the world will remember, will remember him for like, the songs rather than like that record which is cool like that's that's a cool way to go 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this was the same way that I was introduced to Tom Petty outside of just like Tom Petty being on the radio. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's always been like anytime like road trips, you know, put on greatest. Yeah. Hits, like oh, in the yeah. van for like tours. It's, you know, I was thinking that it's always Tom Petty is always a thing where if we don't know what to listen to on tour, just put on Tom Petty. Exactly. And everyone's going to sing along. Like even back (laughs) to like when I was in just like fast punk bands and then like, you know, we'd want to listen to like crust or grind or, you know, power Mm -hmm. violence all Mm -hmm. day. It was kind of like the chill out thing that everyone could agree on was Tom Petty even then. Yeah. It's like, it's sort of akin to, uh, what you would want like the experience of what you would want when you just turn on the radio mm-hmm. like you, you would want to sort of just experience what you would be experiencing when you just put greatest hits in like, <laughs> yeah. it's sort of that carefreeness uh i don't know it just suits the environment whatever you're doing it definitely suits yeah man i i have listened to this record so many times on tour i've listened to it so much growing up but like talk about a record that sort of traveled with me through different phases of life like once i started touring it was i listened to it just as much if not more yeah it, it's every time i kind of revisit greatest hit specifically um i feel like i'm gonna get tired of it but i feel like it's like almost like the first time i've heard it you know like oh, i'm yeah. singing along and everything's hitting yeah you know it's like i don't you know he's an amazing songwriter and that right that it's just like the right lane because there's certain there are certain things where even when I think about music and I think about writing songs like for many years I've tried to like thread that needle kind of between Mm. like uh, I guess like alt country and punk and whatnot yeah Um, and it's kind of like what's the sweet spot and Mm. um you know and this is coming from a different lane but it's like it's always Tom Petty, you know, and even yeah. like as much oh, yeah. as I like Bruce Springsteen, it's like, there's times where I'm not in the mood for it. <laughs> totally. Know? Yeah. 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 And what I think is cool about this record specifically is it just kind of like, you know, it follows the trajectory of Tom Petty's career. Uh, and of course, like, like I was saying with his albums, if you go into the sort of deep cuts, um, Tom Petty's influences were kind of all over the place and there's deep cuts where he's paying homage to like old blues guys or like old rock and roll stars. Uh, and it's not as sort of ready-made or easy to get into. Um, but it's sort of like that he was able to get his wiggles out in all of these different directions. Uh, even the sort of like early nineties, late eighties stuff the greatest hits is like it just shows the cream of Tom as a songwriter, just rising to the surface over and over again. Like no matter what the sort of a collection of tools he had around him or the sort of aesthetic of the time, it was just like Tom Petty's still going to be Tom Petty, despite whatever kind of distraction or road he goes down, like those songs still come along and it's, it's cool. And then it makes for a really entertaining listen when you just sort of like listen down the course of his history throughout that track list. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know how much I've really honestly gotten into all of these records. Like even thinking about 
like track 10 you got lucky is on uh long after dark and i'm like mm -hmm. i don't know if i've sat down and just been like i'm gonna listen to long after dark you know? yeah yeah i you didn't know? i hardly did it all for good grief yeah for like i said until maybe about four or five years ago or it could, it could have been less than that because uh, a lot changed for me and how i uh reflected on tom petty whenever i picked up the warren zanes biography mm -hmm. um which is incredible it's so so good and it also kind of marked a personal change not only in me uh i don't know but but how i sort of viewed the world of uh <laughs> rock songwriting and it's to say that like so whenever i grew up listening to Tom Petty and grew up listening to this record. Um, of course, when I'm like three or four years old, as I was sitting with my parents, boombox and headphones and just like blasting this thing all day, I didn't relate to the content at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is all like a movie to me. Uh, none of this really bears any relevance. I don't relate to the emotions. It's all, you know, it's, it's sound and it's feeling, but I don't have any sort of words or experiences to pair with what I'm being told. Uh, and I think that sort of first impression hit hard because I just like, despite being somebody who's really interested in lyrics and the craft of songwriting, et cetera, et cetera, like this music was always just the best, like feel good, almost turn my brain off music to me is like that kind of just party music. Like you just yeah. put it on kind of feeling. Um, so I kind of attached that uh, or I kind of attached that sense of detachment to Tom Petty himself. Like, you know, like whenever you listen to, say, the Beatles, for example, which Tom Petty admired, uh, you never get the feeling that like, like what those guys are singing fucking matters to them at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was sort of what I assumed Tom Petty was doing. He was following in the canon of like, quote unquote, great rock and roll songwriting. Uh, and he was just writing stuff that sounded good. Uh, you know, stuff that conveyed an image. Um, but whenever I read that Warren Zanes biography, uh, I began to think about, Tom uh, in the scene that he grew up in and just realized that like, oh, this is sort of some of the most emotionally, at points, it's some of the most emotionally forward and transparent music uh, in the rock and roll world. Like I'm comparing it to, you know, my friends that are like confessional songwriters and people that like really tell it like it is, but that's sort of a fairly recent development in songwriting like people people didn't used to do that and relative to the scene that tom petty grew up in like that guy was actually really putting his heart and personal experiences out there in a way that like, not a lot of other people were so for yeah for a long time this record was like just easy perfect sound to me but then i began to realize uh which also was paired with me getting to the rest of his discography like oh, this guy actually really meant it. And I think that's why these songs work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes whenever, if you occupy a lane where things kind of go down easy, then it's mm -hmm. easy for people to kind of like disregard what you're saying yeah. or the content. 
within like it's just because it's easier to listen to than you know sometimes neil young and sometimes bruce springsteen yeah. mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he's saying any less than really both of them yeah that's a great regard. point too yeah and i think that um yeah i think that's why i've always just gravitated back to tom petty as far as like i don't know people yeah people love neil young and bruce and dylan etc uh but I've always just come back to Tom where it's just like, no, I think this guy is as poetic as anyone and as sincere as anyone else, but it just sounds great. It's like, yeah. it's just so easy to get into. Like, uh, and that sort of has been the just standard for me for a long time. It's like, you can, you can mean it and you don't have to be very weird you can be simple <laughs> yeah there's like things because a lot of the definitely the 70s era of tom petty like you can hear like the you know elton john or you can hear mm-hmm. uh the jackson brown um mm-hmm. but you know like with jackson brown i feel like it, sometimes it goes down too smooth and as much oh, as i yeah. love jackson brown me too um, you know maybe that's a discredit maybe that's another thing i would need to like dive into more but i mean spend a lot of time with Jackson Brown. Um, but, it, you know, sometimes it just kind of feels like for the benefit of kind of the hook is what Jackson Brown is about, which is sick. Yeah. But, you know, Tom Petty is able to do both. And that's yeah hard. You know, it's going down really smooth. It feels like the easiest song to kind of like do anything with. But sometimes it'll it'll hit you. Um, yeah. And I think that's like, like I was saying, it, it, it sort of speaks to how powerful these songs are because there can be different levels of engagement with it. Like you can uh, just drive down the road and not really listen to anything, but the chord changes in the beat, or you can really like listen to him and it can mean something to you. Uh, Like whenever I started, you know, delving into his back catalog after I read that biography. um, Yeah. It's there, there was a lot of a, I just, it's crazy how much uh, this record has just been a companion to me, but it took years and years and years for it to actually feel like it was soundtracking my life. Like there was some songs for some hard times in my life that it was like, oh man, this is really, this is really hitting. Like, and songs that I would have thought, you know, maybe a couple of years prior that were super corny. Like I remember, uh, listening to uh crawling back to you over and over and over again uh and that song gosh on the surface just sounds so corny whenever i try to show it to somebody if they're not like listening or engaging on the same level as me it's just like this is this is goofy music yeah <laughs> but yeah it means yeah it. i mean but it's <laughs> i think i not to call myself out, i think i misspoke earlier but uh, what I meant to say, if anyone catches it at all, um, the other reference that, you know, that kind of leans into was Elvis Costello. I think I misspoke and said mm-hmm. Elton John, um, but, um, or maybe I didn't, but, uh, so I'll edit it out if I, if I didn't. <laughs> but with Elvis Costello, sometimes as much as I like Elvis Costello, sometimes it's sort of like, it just feels like he's wearing it all, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. It's theatrical. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it's fine in a sense that you know like almost like weezer or something you know where it's like is it genuine or is it just a thing you're putting on 
Like mm -hmm. it feels mm -hmm. like this is where Tom Petty lives every day. And that's fine if something needs to be a costume or, but I feel For like sure. I can, I can tire of it a little quicker than just, I think we're kind of saying the same thing. It's just whatever yep. it is about everything Tom Petty is shooting directly into my veins. It's everything I want all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel the exact same way. And it, uh, yeah, I think there's something to be said for him just being a guy that like, I don't know, he, not to say that anyone else doesn't, but uh, I think artists, when they begin their early work, um, they are speaking from a place of really wanting to be understood and to sort of chronicle their experience. And uh, there's like not a big curtain between their art and their experiences like those experiences are fueling that art and I think that um you know as people grow older and more successful it's kind of easy to phone it in and to write songs that sound like yourself without actually embodying yourself um but yeah Tom Petty it seemed like till his dying day was writing very much about his experiences and like the dude was pissed <laughs> a lot of the time that he was a very passionate guy uh very passionate about songwriting very passionate about the issues that he believed in and uh yeah i think that he let that consistently touch and motivate his songwriting which is why um yeah it feels just vital it doesn't feel like you phoned it in really at any point yeah i i think even like thinking about track one being american girl and just being mm -hmm that's the self-titled album like yeah, it's like yeah. from day one every piece of tom petty is there oh, like yeah. the fact that even just like the way that things are mixed in this band and really throughout the whole thing it's just like oh yeah everything in its place and it's not like like when you think about the doors or something it's like there that's a lot of you know organ you know oh yeah uh, you know and there's there's like just tons of band where bands where it's like oh you're gonna be really into just the way the guitar sounds or something yeah you mm -hmm. know and uh but it's like kind of everything in its place and everything like tastefully there rises when it needs to and it's just oh yeah like it's just that that kind of like figuring out how to get everything in like its perfect lane is just like mm -hmm. i'll never get it you know it's like oh it's so cool. Well, I think it, it comes back to the fact that it's like uh, those songs are good if you were standing in the rehearsal space with them. Like that is the, the power of just a band that is amazing and a song that's incredible. Like it's just, you know, and I'll, I think it's starting there um, and it's sort of being placed under that magnifying glass there where it's like if this song isn't good, in this context, if we don't play it in front of like a bar crowd and people just get excited, then cut it, you know, yeah. <laughs> back to the drawing board. But yeah, yeah. I, I also feel the same way with American Girl. Like, oh, one, that song is so nuts. But again, it's something that until I had the context of actually diving into that biography, I was I didn't realize like, oh, this is like the debut single. <laughs> of yeah. this band and it was something that like they played at the last concert that tom petty ever played and people lost it i think it was the last song uh yeah. and it's as good as anything he ever wrote it's so crazy yeah maybe this is in the documentary or just a tall tale i've heard 
Um, but th- there's a story of like essentially like it's backstage at a Tom Petty show and a security guard is like, hey, sir, you have to put out that cigarette. And Tom Petty turns around and goes, I'm fucking Tom Petty. <laughs> and just doesn't, you know, but <laughs> I think that's so great, too, because also I feel like you never really hear that side of Tom Petty. Like, it's, yeah, you don't yeah. hear him as being that kind of person in a way. Mm-hmm, um, but mm-hmm. it's just like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> just i don't know yeah i don't know if it, that squares with my impression of him but i think that there there could be a moment where <laughs> that that could happen or at least yeah. like i like to think of uh if i was in that room like me looking at the security security guard and just being like he's tom <laughs> <laughs> or somebody uh, in the room saying that on his behalf <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah like you were kind of saying i don't know if i really when i look through just the track list of this it's like i almost feel like with every single song i can't think of a time where i just didn't know it yeah Yeah, same for me and there's no there's no point where i'm just like ah we're going through the like the slogging part of this this record and it's long it's a long track list yeah but there's no point at there's no point at which I don't get excited. Even the last two, like, I mean, well, not, I, of course, Mary Jess, Jane's Last Dance is the hit, but Something in the Air is a cover. Uh, and it's just as good as all the rest. Like, that's that's truly, like, uh, greatest hits collection B-side material. It's just a cover of another song that was recorded at the same time as Mary Jane's Last Dance. But, like, it's for some reason just as good like it's always felt like it returns me to the place that uh american girl started off the record which is great because if you're listening to it on cd just american girl starts again (laughs) i i i like doing this like exercise and i really don't know how i'm gonna do it where i think like what song would you cut if you could and i'm looking through this list and i really can't think of I can't think of one that I would would cut. No, yeah. me either. Um, I don't know. I think, yeah, actually, I have no idea. Um, I've I've tried to think of that too. Like, which is the least essential here? I don't know. I guess <laughs> I guess something in the air could be that song. But again, I don't think the they need it. it. Just I don't think they need it. But it's a cover, so I feel like I can't. You can't discuss it in the same way of like. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Know, like it's not like there. It's I mean it could be, it could be cut, and I don't think it would change anyone's perception yeah. to this day of <laughs> of the thing. But but it's like I I wouldn't put it like in the exercise of uh, what Tom Petty you know song. It's like you know that's like already cut, but not in sense of time like the only ones I'm gravitating to, but then when I start playing the song in my head, it's like even the losers or here comes my girl. I feel oh. like I just like killed my son. Yeah. yeah I feel <laughs> the exact same way. Yeah. And, and what's cool about like uh, what I would say, what I would call the like experiments, like for example, don't come around here no more, which I think was co-written by one of the, the dudes from erasure. Uh Dave Stewart, I think. Yeah, um, Dave Stewart. Uh, 
like that song I would I would sort of classify as an experiment. I think it was also originally written for Stevie Nicks and uh, like Tom Petty sort of laid down the, uh, you know, guide vocal and Stevie Nicks came in and she was like, fuck you, man, that's your song now. <laughs> uh, like, even though I would classify that as an experiment, it's like, oh man, even in this like wild 80s, synth world you're Mm -hmm. still tom petty and this is still just a hit and i don't want to cut it from the record because it stands as testament to the fact that like this guy can write a hit out of anything it's amazing and he can still be like you that still is true to himself somehow like people in gainesville would not be ashamed of him for that song (laughs) yeah yeah like it it feel it just to me it just feels exactly like any other tom petty song and like the best way i i love the kind of synth thing that that era where they kind of pushed into that i guess mm-hmm. so that people so we don't get like that one comment um uh, dave stewart was from eurythmics uh, eurythmics not a yeah. but um but just <laughs> so it's just so we don't get that not to um but yeah i mean my, to me my mom will be bummed at me for missing that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've corrected it um it's been a long day for both of us yeah um i i think i'm i'm the one who said elton john earlier i believe i swear i said elton john um but which is strange but but even i guess catching myself on the elton john thing if i use elton john or think about billy joel there's times where it feels like there's so much like there's there's songs underneath there for like any billy joel or elton john song but it's like mm-hmm. do i feel in the mood for all of that piano (laughs) (laughs) you know that's what Uh, that's what's amazing about uh about tom petty and then again it comes back to like uh the fact that the heartbreakers were a a band mm -hmm. like i know there are tom petty solo songs on this record but like the heartbreakers were a band and they played like a band and arranged like a band which means that like lead instruments were lead instruments like yeah. The piano isn't banging all over everything. The lead guitar isn't banging all over thing, everything. It's like they're all just surrounding Tom's songwriting and fleshing them out, which is yeah something it's, that I tend to forget. Yeah, it's funny when I think about just the idea, when I was like writing down all the tracks, like the idea that he has solo records, but like, you know, yeah. you've watched Running Down the Dream, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's like I, 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 I feel like he fully goes into the studio thinking that he's going to do something completely by himself and other people he calls yeah. but then yeah. eventually at the end of the day they're basically all on the record yeah totally <laughs> so, it's like they can't he couldn't help but be a band like he like this is yeah. what i imagine happened and they kind of talk about it in the documentary but it's almost like well fuck you i'm gonna just make my own solo record but then he's like mm-hmm well, but I do like Ben Mott, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do exactly. like Ron, you know? <laughs> and then, so eventually they're just all on there, except for uh, Stan Lynch. Seems like he kind of yeah, yeah. gets cut out a little bit more than other people mm-hmm. uh, sometimes. <laughs> but but yeah, it's just, they he couldn't help but be a band, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like, it's just what he loves. And it's such a part of like who he was. And yeah. so part of like how he took this to the stage and fleshed out songs like i don't think that i mean i don't know other than like uh sometimes he'll play uh the waiting solo live and like the band the band will sort of crash in at the end uh but trying to think of tom petty as like a singer songwriter that doesn't work like think of 
just him playing like an acoustic guitar solo on the stage like he never did a tour like that he do- yeah. doesn't want to do that i don't think that's the angle that he was ever writing from which is actually a distinction that i've never thought of before it's like that's not that's not what he wants to do <laughs> did you ever get a chance to see tom petty in concert no i didn't uh that was gosh i don't know like there's a certain time when you're you're touring and you're young and uh only spending like trying to spend four dollars on meals when like a 200 dollar ticket just feels ridiculous uh (laughs) but now just looking back just like man i i would have spent double that like i really wish that i i had just literally the experience which is why i think a lot of people shelled that kind of money of just witnessing this person yeah just like the show was part of it but to also just sort of know that i'm in the same room uh Mm. as all of these people would have been a priceless experience but i i never did uh did you no i mean it's i think like there's certain people like I, I've thought about it in terms of like Bob Dylan at mm-hmm. points where I'm like, Oh, I should go because I don't know <laughs> yeah. much longer. Oh yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, but Tom Petty, it never, I mean, it was so sudden that it was never like a, Oh, this is, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, should, I should think about it if I'm going to like, you know, Willie Nelson or something, you know, uh, right. it just kind of was like, nah, I, I have time with Tom Petty, you know? Yeah. I thought I had time. Yeah, I really yeah. did. And then it was so sudden. I, I remember to this day i mean because the mark of it is on me i like uh i was on tour in i guess that was october 2017 uh and i was in omaha nebraska and we had uh driven overnight to get there i think so we just kind of had the day to kill it was rainy uh and as we were driving into downtown omaha to hang out i was touring with the band pair and the drummer jeremy you know since we were already in Omaha by that point, you know, I played through greatest hits several times <laughs> on yeah. the tour. We were all sharing a van together. It was the three of the the guys in pair and, and myself playing solo. And um, the drummer, Jeremy spoke up from the back and he said, Hey, it looks like Tom Petty might die. And that just hit me like a wall. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and immediately, you know, just started Googling and seeing that he had been like, uh, flown or helicopter to a hospital or something and it was just like oh wow this is just real all of a sudden it's so strange it, it almost felt like it hadn't you know because the other guys I was with like didn't really have any attachment to Tom Petty so it was all of a sudden this sort of very personal experience of a day that I was having and as the day progressed it seemed like the news got worse and worse uh, and we still had hours and hours before the show so I just I asked a friend for uh, tattoo recommendations in Omaha and uh, she got back to me and I just booked it to one and did a walk-in. And uh, now I have like a, the classic mom heart. Uh, but instead of mom, it says Tom <laughs> <laughs> on my arm. So yeah. just marked out the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. It's even thinking back to just kind of like what a process that was like how long that took for lack of a better way to put it totally Uh, yeah just like uh, such a and it almost like it was like 
that point where it was like his his daughter was like he's not gone yet you know he's not gone yet motherfuckers or something yeah yeah and everyone was like like, yeah the family was just sort of railing against the press where it was just like don't don't report that he's gone yet uh and and like i remember posting something uh just sort of i don't know not to the effect that i was like praying for him or something but you know it's just Mm-hmm. really extending hope and there were some people that were like oh no he's already died and it was like no he hasn't yet <laughs> yeah but yeah it was it was a rough strange strange day and i uh i remember playing uh i think it was reaver lounge uh in omaha that night which crazy enough i really i think about that venue a lot and think about this moment uh because Reverb Lounge was also the last venue that I played pre-pandemic. Oh. Uh, like, uh, and that was the only other time I had played that stage. I was, in March of last year, I was on tour with a hardcore band from Chattanooga called Gum that I'll fill in on bass for occasionally. Uh, and we were playing there, and the whole time we were playing, I was just thinking back to uh, covering American Girl on that stage to, like, five people and almost crying <laughs> yeah. it was a wild day <laughs> yeah. yeah um i guess one, one of the things i feel like i, I want to mention too is uh when when i feel like i'm talking about things that i know or have spent my whole life it's like hard to almost like think about it in a historical sense like it kind of means mm-hmm. something completely different to us than like going through the facts what i would say to i guess any listener uh we've mentioned it is definitely watch running down a dream like oh yeah if you're even slightly interested in tom petty like it is just everything you would need to know about Mm -hmm. tom petty's career um you know just to prefer people listening Uh, yeah and i think it's an analog to the greatest hits uh collection just in the sense that like that's the greatest hits cd is a long cd uh and running down a dream is also like four hours <laughs> yeah, yeah but i watched it recently and at no point was i looking at my watch like i was like i want to yeah. keep hanging out with this whole band they're great like i really like all of these guys i wish it were longer <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> um there is it's a it's probably like four hours long there's like a four or three hour long eagles documentary cool um, have you seen that one? Mm-mm, I have not. Um, the thing about it is it really doesn't need a second part. Uh, oh, gotcha. Uh-huh. The second part is all about like the reunion and whatnot. Oh, sure. Um, and so, but, you know, but I would say all four hours of the running down a dream is essential, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel the same way. And I think that it's kind of amazing. Like I, I remember reading the book uh and there were little like blurbs of people in the rock and roll world music world saying that like there really is no band like the heartbreakers and that goes back to what you said about you know having such an attachment to this music sort of blurring having a a historical perspective on it but it's true like the reason that that documentary is so good is that it ebbs and flows but it's like it's the same cast of characters the whole time. At no point did the brand, the band break up. Like yeah. it was just a continual saga the whole time. And 
yeah, the central idea of that was that they're going to make this music forever and they're going to make it together for as long as I can, they can until the road runs out. Like, yeah. And for the most you know. part, it was, yeah. I mean, like, so Tom Petty, Ben Montench, Mike Campbell, all from day one to the very end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Ron and Blair then, comes back. Yeah, Ron Blair came back. So it's sort of so like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like you laughed. And then, but even the crazy, it's like the replacement of Ron Blair, which I think is essential. Um, mm-hmm. Howie Epstein is like just like that the way the documentary like paints him and the things I feel like I've learned just from as a musician like thinking about Howie Epstein's role in the band oh my just goodness like yeah. mind-blowing just like the parts in the documentary where they're talking about like the key is like having the guy doing backing vocals be the better singer than <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think about that in terms of like doing just doing backups in general. Like it's like, how can I sweeten this up? Like, oh, you know, so just like make sure you have that this that sweet kind of foundation. So it's like it can go anywhere. But you know, when we go back to the ones, you know, it's like how we was there. You know? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it also like for all the sort of grief about Stan Lynch, like there are some live clips of them all playing together where you know they'll come into the chorus or a pre-chorus of a song and like stan lynch will just pipe up and it just rips like it's so cool and i didn't realize until i had watched that documentary like how many of those backing vocals are are him yeah that's great they they sing really well together Stan lynch thing like ended up like just coming down to like a weird personality thing that you know like yeah just like a and it just kind of seemed like sometimes like when you've known people for so long, it just kind of feels like everything's going to kind of keep coming back up. It's it's just like a totally. brother at that point, but a brother in like, if everyone else were like the brothers, it's like a brother in the worst respect. Like, it's just totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. Always a stick brings, in the mud. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, it's always going to bring back like something from, you know, for them like 30 years ago. Like, and I feel like that's probably totally. what stan lynch and tom petty had it's like if you say one thing and it thinks makes you think back to like 1970 yeah. <laughs> uh, which i which i imagine like, yeah was you know um and but... stan lynch is kind of the guy that was like keeping score of that stuff like i think tom probably wasn't because he probably just had so much shit to do but like not to say that stan lynch didn't either he produced records he played on other records but yeah, he was the guy in the band that was keeping score of that stuff and not letting it go. And um, yeah, it's fascinating. And that's what is so cool about the documentary and so cool about this band uh, is that they just endeavored to keep that family together forever. And watching it play out is is a really compelling story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess like, how do you feel? How do you feel like? liking tom petty and kind of like going through stages of your pettydom throughout your life <laughs> like how do you feel like it it is uh do you feel like it's changed your songwriting or if it's one of those sometimes i feel mm. like with bands it's like it's it's almost like influenced my songwriting as i know that that's a place i cannot go <laughs> you know and so it's almost influenced yeah. in that uh-huh. way but it's like has it directly influenced the way you approach songwriting sure uh i think they're that's that's definitely changed in a bunch of ways as well um like i wouldn't say that it influenced my songwriting um for a really long time and that was sort of the stage where in like 
this was just Tom Petty was just the most perfect kind of turning on the radio music to me. Like I would just pop this record on and I knew every single word and I didn't really have to think about it. Uh, and I wasn't really necessarily, I mean, I would focus on the elements, but I wasn't focusing on them in the same way that I do other artists that I admire where I'm sort of like focusing on an element of the song uh, and trying to distill what about it works and then how I can use that tool in my own songwriting, which is something that I do really often, but maybe it speaks to the just perfection of Tom Petty songs that I like, I didn't really look at them for the parts. Like they just hit me as a whole. Like yeah. my adrenaline is just too high. My enjoyment of it is just too high <laughs> for me to like be parsing the things apart. Um, but I guess once I began to really uh, look at the songs for the person inside of them. And, and like I said, see that Tom Petty really meant it. Um, and also just began to grow a little bit more as a musician. And, uh, I think I also three or four years ago began to think of songwriting in a more conscious way where I was like, um, songwriting wasn't just as impulsive in the sense where I was like, I, I, I definitely like have always edited what I've done, but like, I didn't edit songs so much as uh, that I would like take stuff out. I wouldn't interrogate my songs with the question of like, oh, is this really necessary to get the point across? Um, is this sort of informing the perspective of the listener? Am I leaving room for them? Uh, like I said, I just not really thought about it in a conscious way. Uh, and I don't know. I feel like that being able to empathize with Tom Petty, thinking about songs in a more intentional way, just growing as a person and becoming an adult, like all kind of were simpatico and in line with each other. And uh, Tom Petty just began to give me a whole new set of lessons. And uh, I began to just study his back catalog. And I, I did a weird thing a couple of years ago where I just started listening to his whole discography front to back. And I would just like, lazily learn the chord changes of each song as they were going by and i would just discover like tom petty tricks i was like oh this thing happens in almost every song yeah uh, you know he moves around the fretboard and uses different shapes but like this movement happens all the time and like he uses it and he knows what he's doing there uh and that's when i began to think about it as like oh this is a color that I can use. This is like a Tom Petty move that I can use. And the last record I put out definitely has some, there's some Tom Petty colors in it just because I found out those were places I could go and like, Oh, if I want to feel this feeling, this sort of like open hearted, like driving around in Gainesville in a truck or driving around North Carolina in a van yeah. <laughs> uh, feeling can be found whenever I use this sort of chord change. And, um, so yeah, for a long time, it was, I totally resonate. Like, that's not a place I can go. Uh, and I still feel that way where it's like, I don't think that I can pen something that is as specific to my experience, but can be that generally enjoyed. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's, that's in me. I don't feel like yeah. that's not in a lot of people. It's like just something that touches people a couple of times a generation <laughs> yeah i've never but, been i've never been one that 
I don't feel like I can like duplicate things well. Like I don't oh, feel like either. I could sit uh-uh. there and be like, let me write or create a band that's just like Tom Petty worship. This I wouldn't type. even know yeah. what to do. I mean, I guess it's you could you could do like I mean, you could really probably do what you did, but then just every day of your life for like years, you know, where you're just right. dissecting everything like that, you know, the, the, you know, I don't feel like I have that kind of time, or, <laughs> but yeah, you know, the, yeah but uh, what, what I think I did do learn from Tom Petty songs, just like when you mentioned the thing about like Dave Stewart and there being like the, uh, the synth there, it's like, you can kind of color outside of your own lines that mm-hmm. you made and it still be you and, yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that's like, a great lesson yeah and like the idea that it's like you know they're so tasteful like tom petty and, and the heartbreakers are so tasteful it's like they can kind of move it back in to tom petty and like it makes mm-hmm. me think of like when i'm like oh maybe maybe this doesn't fit with my current band like maybe i need to do like a a side project and then i just kind of think to myself like tom petty probably wouldn't do that you know yeah totally yeah. uh-huh For like why part. why let it stray like i don't know and it's also kind of a cool uh lesson in that like not that i feel like history is looking at my band or my output but just in the sense where it's like you know there's a lot of tom petty songs that like neither you nor i remember but he probably focused on them really hard and like but those were sort of like b-sides or album cuts or stuff where he like strayed from the path and really like made an homage to some sort of rock and roll that he likes that is is weirder or more esoteric yeah Yeah, maybe some Um, of the conversation would be different like if we were looking at one specific right right but yeah from my knowledge of i mean i'm pretty familiar with like a lot of these records really like damn damn the torpedoes specifically southern mm-hmm. accents full moon fever and even like uh like wildflowers totally um you know like any of the i mean this so many records but when i think about like you're gonna get it it's like it's like i i mean outside of those two songs it's like maybe there are some clunkers but i had a friend that said one time they were like even the bad tom petty songs are good yeah totally yeah that's that's absolutely true (laughs) and at the at the you know the very least they're they're interesting and they sort of paint a a picture of like um like i was saying it's hard for me to pick out ingredients in a tom petty song in one of these greatest hit songs because they just like hit me on the whole and i'm so excited whenever i'm hearing them but whenever you listen to you know the quote the quote unquote bad songs you can hear some of the spices in the ingredients that make for a great tom petty song yeah but they're not just like employed to as great of an effect <laughs> yeah like hang the dj yeah yeah, yeah exactly Still like not a bad song yeah no not at all but it's yeah like one thing i was thinking about before we were talking so i tweeted it out i said do you know anyone who hates tom petty and the heartbreak Oh, no, but I've heard of these people. Like, (laughs) (laughs) apparently, uh, maybe it was somewhere in the book. I read that there's like a lot of like uh, English people like in the UK that really hate Tom Petty. Like it sounds, it sounds to like some Brits as it's like a caricature 
of American culture. I don't know. It's <laughs> which I get it. I one of my favorite Tom Petty stories ever is like I was listening to Tom Petty as a child when my babysitter was over. It was this neighborhood kid named Peter. Uh, and I asked Peter, it was like, why does Tom Petty sing like that? And Peter immediately <laughs> shot back. He was like, it's because he has a cigarette in his mouth while he's singing. <laughs> <laughs> what, when I think about that, though, the idea of like British people, uh, I think of all they're seeing is like Lucky from King of the Hill, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I feel like it's like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to me is just like, if you want, if someone feels like they're interested in that style of rock and roll, it is just like the, I don't know, just like the stone to like kind of get to everything else. Totally. Yeah. Like in I feel terms the same of, way. In terms of, it makes me think sometimes, and I made the comparison and one time someone was like, that sucks. Uh, but like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like if you like alt rock, Foo Fighters can be that band for a lot of people. You know, sure, I think yeah. they've strayed. I, I Like Tom Petty's <laughs> whole career has been, was like nothing but like hits at some pieces. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe we're too close to Foo Fighters. I bet if there's a Foo Fighters greatest, I mean, I guess there has been Foo Fighters greatest hits. Um, but it, Probably it might, several. You know, I, I don't know. But but it does feel like it's like the same way. Like, I would feel comfortable introducing someone to Foo Fighters. Like, hey, check out these early records. I think if you like this, this leads to all of these things, you know, that mm, you, know, mm-hmm, you, know, mm-hmm. you could say, like, could be better or just could plug you into things that, you know opens it back up like but i feel like it's like a to me it's almost like a the doorway is foo fighters and then it leads you to one would say like better things but sure. tom petty yeah, it's yeah. like it's not a doorway because i feel like you keep coming back but it does open you to yeah. things you know but it is well, like also, a good starting place it's it's also kind of a really interesting like alternate rock like history where it's like you know this this music travels along uh a timeline of like music history where there was like a lot of other shit going on, like a lot of just like prog rock and like <laughs> glam and like heavy metal. But like, if you're just sort of listening to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers do their thing throughout these years, it's like, Oh man, like, I don't know. That makes me feel good about this history. <laughs> yeah. I, I like what the touchstones that they were like jumping off of the whole time. And it sort of is like not even so much in reference to other artists and musicians, but it's like the sounds of the different production styles and stuff. It's like, it it feels like it was all used to good effect throughout their discography. Like, you know, gated reverb drums, Tom Petty used them well. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I think about even things that I liked a lot in a certain era, like, I don't know, let's say like thrice or something. Um, you know, when I listen to it now or even like Thursday to lesser effect, but it's like, it's like, man, I think that the song here, it's just like, sometimes they lean really hard on like the effects of the day or, you know, kind of like being in that genre of the day, but it's it's like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers had some foresight to like, how do you know how to be timeless in a certain time? I don't know. Yeah. I have no (laughs) idea. And I, I mean, I guess it's just that like it sounds so corny, but it's just like sticking to yourself to like what you like, like not measuring 
it by the criteria of the time. Like all of those songs in all these different eras feel like it was just measured by Tom Petty himself and like what he loves and how he measures a song, like regardless of the production value or what was happening at the time. Uh, and that's why we like, when we look at it and we can hear a greatest hits record front to back, it just feels like one person. Yeah. It doesn't feel like all of these disparate areas, eras. It just feels like one person yeah, or and- one group of people, a family. Yeah, definitely. Um, the kind of curveball I'll throw it when I think about like, cause you've mentioned on uh, Tim's podcast uh, better yet. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize this about you, even though we've known each other for, I don't know, years, a lot of years yeah. now. Um, but just the fact that like, I didn't know that you were raised Pentecostal, but what mm-hmm. makes me, the reason I'm kind of asking that and going into it is like, just the fact that this was a CD that your parents were comfortable having in the house. And I don't know if that's how you were raised. Totally. Pentecostal. My, my, my family had, you know, it was like certain things weren't allowed in the house. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 My parents uh, were not initially uh, Pentecostal um, or not really even initially Christian. I um, am the oldest of five kids uh, and my mom had, almost zero exposure to Christendom before she met my dad. And my dad was more of like a cultural Christian. Uh, So whenever they initially got into the church, um, it was sort of by way of, uh, all right, we want to raise our kid in a certain kind of community. Um, And this seems like a great sort of resource to have. So, um, yeah, they started, you know, raising me and my, you know, siblings to come in church, which we actually started off by going to like a Presbyterian church, which is sort of, you know, if people know Christendom is is many, many leagues away (laughs) from where my my family eventually landed with Pentecostalism. But uh, I think if you combine the generally like affirmative nature that Presbyterians have with, uh, artifacts from the outer world um based with the fact that like i don't know my parents by the time they came to the church the church that they joined didn't make them sort of like surrender their previous lifestyles and i don't think that my parents were interested in doing that anyway um Mm -hmm. so yeah it was like i was raised uh i didn't really have access to like secular music that was coming out that I would grow up being interested in. So it was like, I would listen to tooth and nail releases rather than like Blink-182 or something. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that did not apply to my parents' record collection, which was like on the whole, completely secular. Uh, So I like couldn't necessarily go out and just buy any CD that I wanted, but I had, you know, all of this music, which was great music to dive into of my parents. And I think I probably had listened to all their CDs once just to find something I liked. But once I found Tom Petty, it was like nothing in that record collection paired uh, or, or uh, yeah, could compete with it. So I wasn't, I wasn't forbidden. I've had a really weird experience with Christianity where it's like, 
my parents were really affirmative of the stuff that they liked and have never sort of had that divide between the sacred and secular. Um, and plus my dad was from Florida and a huge Tom Petty fan himself. So, um, yeah, I've always had like a weird both hand. Yeah. I mean, I, so I was raised, I, I mentioned on this pod before, uh, mm-hmm. I was raised apostolic, which is like, it, it is Pentecostal, but it's almost, right. I think a lot of times they're like, oh, we're going to do it like, stricter than Pentecostal. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't know kind of what the idea of like standards were at, like your church, like did people like, did women cut their hair or, um, wear jewelry no not uh i wouldn't say so uh i think that the whenever so my family like started in the presbyterian land uh and then through a variety of like wild experiences you know church falling outs politics the whole nine uh eventually we wound up going to a pentecostal church instead and i don't really remember things feeling strict um i'll say that like the pentecostal division that we were inside is also like the same denomination that produced a lot of like the most contemporary christian stuff like mm-hmm. i think essentially like hillsong you know okay is so basically like the same denomination pentecostal and like an evangelical uh yeah more modern totally. uh, mm-hmm. standard um yeah but i mean it is still a strange uh religion to grow up with but then when you grow up with it you don't really think about it until you kind of meet more people and tell them your story and then they're like oh that's strange i'm like oh i guess it is yeah yeah well how did you find something like tom petty because uh you know for me like i said there was not a point in my life where this record wasn't there you know what I mean? It was like my dad's music. It was like what default music was. So did you have an experience of finding this music? And was it like a forbidden thing at first? Um, I think it's it's somewhat similar to your parents in that they had music. They had their music. Okay. Okay. So what I think now that it seems comical, but it's almost like it feels like in hindsight, they just didn't want me to listen to certain things because it annoyed them. So it was like easier for them to just be like, you know, this is not good. You know, this is not right. godly. But then it's like, but why? I remember my stepmom, she really liked Shaggy a lot. And that never made sense to me because I was like, this is, you know, she, she would just pick up on weird things. That was like her thing. Like she liked like Fleetwood Mac a lot. Um, uh-huh. And also, but she also, it's something that I kind of pulled from her, like, my stepmom for really all intense, like growing up was like my mom. Um, uh-huh. so, so it was just like all I knew. Um, and she really liked like horror movies. And so that's like oh, something wow. I, I carried on. So essentially if they wanted to like it, if they wanted it around, then it was fine. If it, yeah. Was, yeah. Know, but then like, it was like, so that's like a hard thing to grow up with. Cause then it's like, well, I like, you know, terminator you know or something and you're like ah that's that's demonic you know just because i don't think yeah, they want yeah. to watch terminator you know, <laughs> or something you know <laughs> like uh, anything to that degree like but that's you know but there was there was a lot of things like 
you know, like my, all the women in the church, uh, they didn't cut their hair. They only wore dresses. They didn't wear jewelry. Yeah. And even like when we went on church trips, um, which I don't know if this is like a normal church thing. It's like, there was like a boy's van and like a girl's van and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's like, just like all these kind of rules that you could easily poke holes and, you know, and then yeah. you know, kind yeah. of like speaking in tongues and running around the church and everything like that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think that the, the culture that we, the church culture, any cult, church culture that my uh, parents sort of got us into was like, it felt like it was porous and permeable enough that, that both and that my parents raised us with could exist. Um, mm-hmm. And I also like, I never really bought into, well, I didn't in a way, but not at the behest of my parents. I never really bought into any of those cultures wholesale because I saw the exception that my parents took to a lot of what was going on in it. Uh, because like I said, they didn't really like forsake their lives pre-christendom uh they like brought their experiences along with them uh and being that my mom didn't have any experience with like a faith practice before that um she was like interested in and found community in the church but was also like you know yeah i partied like who cares like (laughs) yeah my but my dad was, we kind of had like a different relationship as I got older. Like as we got to a point, like, uh, like he, if we were riding around together, like he was fine with us listening to like classic rock radio. And yeah. then we would yeah. have these like, you know, kind of like long conversations of like, what does this mean? Or what does this mean? You know, and mm. like these weird kind of like open-minded things that we were only allowed to kind of like have together, you know? Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But it was like a kind of like a, I guess it was like a male bonding thing, but my dad was always just like, kind of like, you know, think for yourself and like question everything. Uh, totally. But what he said to me, like in the past couple of years was, uh, you know, he's like, I kind of wish that I wouldn't have taught you to be so open-minded because now you're not at church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally, I feel the same way. Like my, and I will talk about that stuff and my parents have uh I mean I wouldn't want to speak for them uh but they I think they also have like a a strained relationship with Christendom as as do I or I guess I don't have really a strained relationship with it now since it's, I've been gone from it so long and uh, mm-hmm. I don't feel anywhere near the sort of antagonism that I once did but um yeah I feel like there's a lot of people who's parents still maintain a really strong relationship with that thing and then thus view their children through that lens and I think my parents also have like a healthy cynicism about Christendom and the church that I also share (laughs) uh so it's yeah it's sort of painted their recommendations and like forbidding me to do certain things in a certain light where it's like oh my parents were just people trying stuff out and you know offering me the best advice that they knew how to give at the time and and do uh, they still go to that church that type of church uh on and off i'm not really i'm not really sure um not very not very much i think they've just sort of they live in a pretty small north carolina town and i think uh you know 
they've only gone i i we moved there at the beginning of my freshman year of high school and they that's you know the only church that we've known the whole time and uh i think they've tried to reconcile with it and i don't know it's just been an uh a mess and i think a lot of them are just like i don't know why they would find something else and like try to start again it's just kind of a little bit too exhausting and i think that you know they're practices with religion have been more personal anyway um so it's yeah it's weird i think it's it's nice because we can relate on those terms in that like faith or spirituality is just like petered out as being a community thing which can be great but i don't know it's just more personal now than anything um yeah 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 i think my dad kind of just stays in it because it's like that's like his friends. That's like his social. Yeah. Time, you know? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. cause he's never been like, like, even though it was like people would speak in tongues and whatnot in church. Like I never recall once my dad, like outwardly doing that. And mm-hmm. I don't say that as, uh, you know, I don't think my dad listened to this podcast. So, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's like, if he does, I guess, quietly or whatnot, if he believes it, it, it also was like to kind of like mention the part, it's like touch on two things. I just, it feels like it was just allowed because it's just like Tom Petty was allowed because it's just always been an American songbook thing. Like it wasn't yeah. like oh, offensive. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like none of it's really offensive. Um, so not. it just, I don't even think it, it just kind of somehow went through the past the censors, you know, because it was just like, might as well be Amazing Grace at that point. Um, yeah, them, that's a know? great point. <laughs> yeah, which I think that is like a great part about like that kind of, um, you know, era of rock and roll, I guess, you know, it's just like, it just feels like sometimes it just feels like songs that have been there forever. Yeah. And I like that about it. You know, it's like, Me even too. just when you think about like, you know, Neil Young solo stuff, like my dad would just like play that like on guitar mm. at, at home and then the Arlo Guthrie and things like that. It's just, just songs that don't really like just kind of like attached to the psyche of you know the country without some sort of like one way or the other just like primordial kind of you know colonial almost colonial music (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's like pre-country you know yeah no i i totally feel that way and and that like i don't know it it feels like the music of my life because of that like it feels I don't know. Yeah, it feels almost like it's like a secular hymn book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I think that not that I feel like they lean, uh, I mean, the blues and stuff like that, like, but it's like, it's so ingrained in that, that conversation between like, like soul and, you know, mm-hmm. blues and jazz. It's just somewhere in there, just the kind of Americana, but, you know, without the, the genre that that became in itself, it's like Tom mm-hmm. Petty exists there just floating through that american space Uh, totally yeah you know but i guess in regards to like my parents or my dad it's just it's never really like added up completely um like why he does but right at this point it just seems like it's like coffee with friends you know (laughs) like why he keeps going to church you know it's just a thing he does and with that kind of when you think about it in relation to like us existing like independent music where it's like i can't really knock it i mean i've spent a lot of i could one could say i've wasted a lot of my life uh on this quest of something so oh yeah i'm not gonna knock it i completely resonate with that yeah Yeah. i i like 
the older I get, the more I empathize with like why anyone would stay in anything, even if it like <laughs> on, on like from an outside perspective just seems harmful or strange or like it hurts more than it helps. But like people will, will give up any amount of things or discomfort or stress uh, to have community and uh, yeah. Yeah, I certainly have found that in, in independent music, whereas like, you know, I was thinking about that today, like I, just flipping through Instagram and Twitter, just reading over so much music related info that like my brain didn't have any use for <laughs> capacity yeah. to process. And I was just like, but this this is the lane that my life occupies. And these are the friends that I, I have. And, I'm, and I feel really thankful for it. But I can also see that like, somebody looking at either of our lives would maybe look at them the way that we can look at, you know, one of our parents going to church. <laughs> yeah. One cult to the next. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like, uh, like when I think about, it's like when I, someone tries to, if anyone tries to sell you on like multi-level marketing type stuff, <laughs> which I feel like happens a lot in the South, uh, maybe everywhere, yeah. but uh, it's, it's sort of like, I understand what you're trying to give me but I'm already signed up for something and it's already taking up so much of my time. You know, that's how I feel. Like you should see was, the amount of cardboard in my room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in both of our rooms, sadly, yeah. <laughs> you know um, yeah, we're, we're definitely the people, you know how the people that kind of, uh, well, I, that's, what's weird about multi-level marketing where it's like those people that don't succeed at it, they work hard too, you know, but some it's like <laughs> oh, yeah. those people that do, uh, you know, work hard at it and succeed, you know, it's, it's just like a beacon, you know, uh, but we're, yeah, we're the people that just keep doing it, you know, just to put the, uh, Nutra thing on their car, you know, um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like if my life is a, is a, is a vehicle, it definitely is like a PT cruiser with like a DIY wrap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Um, but I guess like, uh, I guess one last thing about like the whole religion thing. Um, yeah, I've definitely, I'm not, I don't feel like as angry about it. Like, I feel like I've arrived at this like almost like hippie-esque thing where it's like, whatever mm -hmm. floats your boat, man. Like, yeah. uh, like, but when I think about it, when I see people, they'll be just be like, yeah, but Scientology, right? And I'm like, no, because I mean, if you buried that in the sand for a few hundred more years and let it bake, you know, it's like, yeah. what's the difference between that and like Pentecostalism or oh, whatever, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like, if I'm going to buy into one, what's the difference? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, and then people, it's like, it was like Christianity and then it was like Mormonism. And then like Mormons are like, but look at these Scientologists. And it's like, whatever floats your boat, man. Like, yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. It's just, it's just what's culturally accepted. It's like people are freaked out by Scientologists because it's like, it, you know, I would say that. 60% of my friends, maybe, if not, that feels like a conservative estimate. We're like raised in some variation of a Christian household. So like, <laughs> yeah, we could definitely dismiss like Christendom as being wild because we know it, but like, it's maybe a lot easier to do it with anything else because we don't know as many people that come from that tradition and can't see that it's just some of the same stuff. Yeah, like, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know Scientology, like, probably uh, definitely has its, like, things now and, like, people that have been harmed by it. But, you know, what, give it 300 years? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll just be 
that guy. You know, I gotta say they have they have some of the sickest merch. We have a uh, we have a Scientology church that occupies a gorgeous what used to be you know other church uh, really close to the bakery that I work at, and uh, there's a lady that I don't know what role she plays in the Scientology world, uh, but she's a very 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 serious woman. But occasionally she'll come in like fully swagged out in scientology merch like so have this like trucker hat that looks wow. freshly minted uh and then she has this giant bright red letterman jacket that across the back of it huge white font just says dianetics whoa it's that is so sick. cool <laughs> man there the first time i ever went to new york uh me and my partner, um, Sarah, which you know, uh, we went to a Scientology center. Just that's like a fun thing. Yeah. And we got what they read our Thetan levels. And then after they read that, they were like, well, we want you to get Dianetics. And just like almost like any other religion, they essentially like give you a book. But, yeah. di- but Scientologists were like, no, this thing is it's $80. And I was yeah. Like, yeah. I don't have, they're like, do you have a credit card? And I'm like, I don't have a credit card on me. And they were like, put it on a credit card. It's like, you don't even really have to pay for it for a while. <laughs> a good like, pitch. like, I'm like, I'm broke as shit. Like, I don't want to buy your book. If you want to give it to me, I'll take, I'll happily take your book for free. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because like, I've signed up for so many things where I've gotten like the religious text, but you know, yeah, like I'll take them, you know? Um, yeah. Like, you know, the Quran, they'll just send you, you know? like thomas jefferson's bible you can buy that for like three dollars uh yeah like more the uh book of mormon you can get for free but they will hassle you they'll try to baptize you but it's still free (laughs) like it's like i'm fine with being hassled but give me dianetics for free i want it yeah but luckily if you go to any discount bookstore yes (laughs) you can get it and i have yeah and it's you have Have you read it? no i'm not i i think i've i have read part of dianetics because I did buy it one time, I think on tour, and I was just like flipping through it. But I got another one. Oh, it's not, it isn't Dianetics, but it's another one that's written by uh, uh, the guy. What's his name? Anyway. Elron Hubbard. Elton John. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I got it after watching The Master. Um, and it's amazing how much like Philip Seymour Hoffman sort of, uh, just picks up the cadence of L. Ron Hubbard. Like the way that he talks in that movie is like the way, you know, Dianetics or anything reads. It's like really uh, one of the craziest things about those texts is uh, the like, preamble to all of them always says that like if you pass over a word or sentence that you don't understand, stop. Do not read past it. Like read back over it and then research it and get it defined before you move along because you won't understand if you don't move any further. And I've never seen that kind of instruction in a religious text. And it creates this like hypnotic effect. <laughs> yeah. It's really strange. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm thinking about that in the movie. That definitely is like a big like component of. Yeah. The movie. Oh yeah. 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 I, I feel like every time I've wanted to really like dive into like Dianetics, just, you know, to do it. Like, I'm just like, oh, maybe what if this, <laughs> you know, like, what if this is the one, you know, that brings me to it? Because it's like, I feel like I have the brain to be predisposed to it. So oh, I, sometimes that's I'm exactly like... what I was about to say. Like, <laughs> I, I feel uh, there are days where I feel 
genuinely like you're saying in a hippy dippy way i feel genuinely thankful for like the experiences i have giving me what if not like a spiritual literacy at least some kind of like spiritual empathy like i get why somebody might be into the stuff that they're into because i've seen it and i've been into it as well uh but i also feel like yeah like you i i (laughs) feel like I'm predisposed to just falling wholesale into something at some point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it'll, maybe uh, somebody will catch me with some religious texts in the yard while I'm pulling the DIY wrap off, off of my life PT cruiser finally. And <laughs> yeah, it'll just be the right time, you know? Yeah. They'll be like, why don't you just join this instead? And like, you're right. I need some friends. <laughs> yeah. I always feel like I'm one tragedy away from like becoming religious again absolutely absolutely i mean if if uh if we can show up uh for any any faith system the uh way that we've showed up for for the system that we have <laughs> yeah like well, we're certainly we'll, we will be high thetan level performers <laughs> in no time <laughs> i i uh i feel like one thing i guess before i let you go like i almost want people to listen to this conversation in tandem with the better yet episode because i feel like it's like Mm. if you're listening to this and you're like but i actually wanted to know more about caleb uh then i'd say go listen to that yeah (laughs) yeah sure listen to that episode like together (laughs) and sort of like piecing it together like it's like a stephen king work that pours into another one uh Mm. like listen to them both together and you know um, if I guess, I guess if, if someone wants more of you, Caleb, then listen to both. Uh, I've listened. Well, I've listened because I've been here, but I listened to the better yet one. I think it gives such a good picture and you go more into, you know, kind of like your experience being raised. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I guess like, you know, so before I let you go, uh, you released Ground a Swim mm-hmm. last year and I'll do well, I should actually what I should do is that thing like when's the next record you know <laughs> like I love that thing where it's like if you take like gaps between records people are like what were you up to but like I I want those questions realistically I want them to never happen again after pandemic is over like if I yeah the totally. first interview let's say we're out or we're safely out of the pandemic and then like any of our bands put out a new record and like I don't know, 2023 or whatever the year ends. Yeah. Yeah. And then someone's like, why the wait? And it's like, (laughs) what did you do for the past couple of years? Like, where were you? Like, like outside of thinking it's like kind of a hacky question to begin with, just sort of like taking out people's like personal lives out of it, you know, like it it seems like starter pack question. um, Yeah. It's really weird. It's, it also, to me, uh, if you ask it from the perspective of like, uh, what happened between then and now like that's fine I guess yeah. a lot of the time why the wait feels like a cheap a cheap phrasing of that same question which is like a, a great question to ask is like what's happened between then and now uh, but I feel like uh, authors painters anyone else that like makes something and puts it out no one gets asked the question why the wait yeah like except for musicians yeah like why why do people get asked that question yeah i mean i get it it's like if you're like 
I don't know, like, I don't know, Don DeLillo or something. And let's say yeah. there's been like uh-huh. a 15 year break or something. I don't even know if that's his case or like Harper Lee, sure. you know, it's like, yeah, that's, yeah. it's like, why the wait? And it was like, <laughs> years, you know, or even if it's like more than 10 years and it might be like, but it's like, if it's between like two and four years, like just assume. Yeah. It's just <laughs> yeah. a life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah, I'm just trying to stay alive, you know? Yeah, truly. Like, you, you, why the weight? Like, do you understand the, like, returns on this? <laughs> yeah, I had to save why money. The I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, was, I had to save money to make another one. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I got to the point of I lost money, and then mm-hmm. I had to get to zero, and then I had to get the inspiration again to start writing after I went to zero, and then yeah. start gain, you know, writing songs and basically like writing money. <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and now like looking down the, I mean, don't get me wrong. I really, one thing, and it sounds crazy to say, because of course the pandemic has caused so much carnage, but like, I have been really thankful for the pandemic in the sense that like I did self-release this record mm-hmm. and not having to worry about touring or any other sort of tertiary thing allowed me to focus on doing that as best I could. And I kind of wouldn't want that to go any other way. Um, But that said, like this, you know, record was not originally going to be self-released. And I had like big hopes for it as anyone does when they're writing stuff and uh, imaginations of how, it was going to sound and be when it came out and I really wanted it to be on vinyl, et cetera, the whole deal. Um, and when the pandemic happened, when we lost our label, like I already had these expectations in place. I was like, all right, I'm going to run the full race and like make sure it happens. But now, you know, in the question of like, when's the next record, I definitely want there to be one, but like, I'm actually looking down the sort of, long haul of that process that I just sort of like ran with my eyes closed for the past two years uh and being like wow that's a long race <laughs> yeah so why the wait yeah that, it takes a long that's I think that's how long it takes <laughs> oh I, yeah I understand I fully understand for sure um, I know you do <laughs> yeah uh but I mean I think the record I mean I I think it's great when people self-release it and I feel like mm-hmm. you know it's been uh, I think it, I feel like it's been received really well, um, you know, yeah, around the swim like was, and, and I, I like where you've gone, uh, you, know, you, Josh, you know, I, I think it like shows so much growth in this, like the chances that you're taking kind of, in a way, you know, tie back to like Tom Petty in the way that I feel mm-hmm. like everything feels exactly where it should be and mm. not like a piece more exist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I totally, yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. And I think that was like, you know, like I said, there's not been a really a time in a, my life when that greatest hits record was not around. Um, and so in many ways it was kind of just the blueprint for what music was the kind of music I was interested in making. And uh, I've fallen into different impulses for a long time, but uh, yeah, this record by far and away feels the most true to what i like and i think that it's the first record that i've made that i that i'll like like 20 years from now yeah. <laughs> uh, which feels cool like it's and i kind of want to make records uh along that same rubric thereafter so yeah i appreciate you saying so it, it 
Yeah, it, it feels, feels like different. the way of kind of self-releasing, the way that I feel like you've approached it, um, is like it feels like you released it the way you needed it to be. And I don't know if that mm-hmm. makes sense. It's like when you totally. put something out on a label sometimes, um, like as someone who runs a label themselves, it's like telling bands, it's like, I don't know if this format is right, or I don't think we need this yeah. many press, uh-huh. or like, you know, it's like trying to tailor things specifically. It's like, it's... I try and do that as a label and that's probably why I haven't been as successful as some. Um, but I'm like, I try and think about the artists, right. like what, you know, they want. And, you know, and I think that you're the one that can, can know that, you know, totally. You know, and in yeah. this case you mm-hmm. were, and I think like, it's like, feels like such a personal record that I almost now thinking about it, I can't imagine anyone else having their hand on it. Yeah. Know? I can't either. I really can't. And uh, I don't know, like that's, there was a point at which where you know uh my friend jason who has been like i i tapped him what this was uh 2018 2019 anyway uh pre pre pandemic um so the band of course used to be me and josh and danny uh and i would talk things over with them all the time and when i was coming up on putting out another record especially in light of losing a label etc i was just like oh i need somebody else to talk to about any of this stuff so i can't burden my friends with it anymore (laughs) so uh my friend jason has been like uh on on his own just like free time just managing uh my band for a couple almost yeah a year and a half now so he and i've just like talked about it forever but there came a time uh which we were like, well, we're not getting anything back from anyone. Uh, should we keep on pursuing other options? Should we look for other options to pursue? Or the other side of the fork in the road was like, we put it out ourselves. And I was like, by this point, I don't think that like anyone else will like it as much as me. <laughs> like, uh, and it's a record that I felt like whenever I made it, uh, I may have said this on, on the better yet episode I think I've said it a lot was that like whenever I initially began writing the record uh, I didn't know it was going to be Sinai Vessel I didn't know what it was going to be but I just knew I wanted to make music uh, and what came out is a record that feels really weird and really personal uh, and it only answers to just what I like and want to do <laughs> uh, and I think that might be the reason why other people didn't want to pick it up which like it's totally fine. And I was like, I think that I can do a good job of it. <laughs> yeah. So it feels good. Like, and I think more people like should try their hands at, at doing it. I certainly now moving forward into the future, like it'd be cool to maybe work with the label again at some point, but like, I don't know, unless somebody feels like an asset to that sort of like personal belief, like, I don't know. Uh, all so like you and I, and so many of our friends, we, do everything ourselves because I think we know how to do it for ourselves best and that rocks yeah yeah I guess like I do have one other thing but before I uh I guess say I let you go again and then not yeah for a few minutes uh where can people find you online uh everything is the the at Sinai Vessel you have an easily googleable name yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the thing to kind of like wrap it up where I think about where it ties really ties back into the whole Tom Petty of it all. Um, 
I remember we were at Fest together uh, a few years ago. This might have been 2017. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you said, well, what I do remember is you had a Tom Petty t-shirt. Oh, the Tom Petty is my father. Yeah, Tom Petty <laughs> is my father's shirt that you were wearing. And I believe I took a picture of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but also, like, I think of the conversations of the time, like, you were, you were kind of like, I don't know. You were like, I don't know if I want to keep doing something as signing a vessel and I'm, yeah. I'm glad that oh, I remember that. i'm glad that you did and i think one thing i told you and i don't know if it even went anywhere in your you really anything i tell you you should just throw out of your brain uh <laughs> but you, you said you or i told you like you know i think while it feels like you've been doing this project for so long because you know you started young doing it and kind of went through incarnations of what you felt signing a vessel was i just felt i felt like there was like a point where it was like an introduction and this may have been like right when broken legged came out uh mm -hmm. where it was kind of like i know you feel because you've been on this journey like so many people uh you've been been through so much but i was like i felt at that point i was like so many people are now going to realize i guess you exist at that at that point yeah yeah and even mm -hmm. more so with this record it's like it's like it's just like that was the start like ground to swim should be mm. something you think of like your starting point yeah you know? i do too and i thank you so much for saying that it's really affirmative and actually i do remember that conversation i think we were in like that the like coffee shop that's like under the parking Volta? garage <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 shouts out uh and it was like i remember that conversation um because the like night before i had had a conversation with a friend where I was essentially saying the same thing uh, and they were being very affirmative and being like, yeah, like do another project, do whatever you want, which like it's, it's a yin and yang kind of thing. Yeah. But I remember having like the next time I sort of voiced that thought, having it with you and you're like, I don't know. Uh, and it gave me pause. And I'm really thankful that like you and subsequent other friends who I think had like my best interests in mind, had had given me pause uh because yeah I, I think you're right and uh like like you said going back to the tom petty of it all like it's like i don't it's cool that this has been the only project that i've ever really done uh because it forces me to just not apologize for myself <laughs> yeah. every time i put something out as as sign vessel it's me just being like, it's, it's fine to live one continuous human life. <laughs> yeah. But I super appreciate you taking the time to you know, talk. Of course. With and I've, you know, I really have enjoyed this, Josh. Thanks so much. It's been awesome. Well, thank you. You have a good one. Yeah. You too, bud. Hello there. We're Secret Jocks Podcast, three musicians who became even better friends through the love of NBA basketball. Catch us every Tuesday and Friday recapping the past week of NBA hoops and talking with other artists who share the same passion for the game. From the tour van to the hardwood, Secret Jocks Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks again to Caleb for coming on the pod. Sign Vessel released Ground to Swim last year. And as you heard Caleb say, it was self-released, so please pick it up. It's really an amazing album. Okay. Next week, I'm chatting with Hayden Rodriguez of For Your Health. 
They released their debut album, In Spite Of, on February 12, 2021. To be honest, I've been banking these episodes and I spoke with Hayden over a month ago, so I hope you've checked out For Your Help's awesome debut by now. If not, do it right this second. So, we talked about Fall Out Boy's debut album, Take This to Your Grave, from 2003. Great chat. More on that next week. Okay, you know the drill. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, and find us on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe wherever you do that, and, you know, rate, review, and anything, but seriously, it helps so much. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for producing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. On that note, hit the theme! <laughs>